Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. There. I just want to share how responsible Peyton no. is. Yes. Can I? Why is it? In, are you embarrassed? Okay. Peyton forgot her show and tell bag yesterday. So at school, she wrote a whole to-do list for the morning so that she doesn't forget anything. And she roughly estimated how long it's going to take her to do each task. Peyton, do you realize you're the kid that every parent wants? You're going to be the kid where parents are going to be like, Stephanie, why can't you be more like Peyton? <laughs> All right, let's get this let's get this chapter read so that you can start. You can actually start doing that list right now. You want to pick out your outfit and get dressed and stuff? Yeah. Okay, a series of unfortunate events. Wait, has anybody done the cats today? Yeah, Angran already did kitty cats. Book the seventh. <laughs> like, since when have you done the cats? Oh, did you put that in your thing? What? In your schedule? Mornings? Yeah. Aw. Well, there you go. You can mark a little time off. Chapter 8. Oh, yeah. The Vile Village, Chapter 8. But I didn't do it. I know. We have to move on. It's okay. The next morning began with a colorful, lengthy sunrise, which Sunny saw from the hiding place at the bottom of Nevermore Tree. It continued with the sounds of awakening crows, which Klaus heard from the library in the barn, and followed with a sigh with the sight of the birds making their familiar circle in the sky, which Violet saw just as she was leaving the inventing studio. By the time Klaus joined his sister outside the barn and Sunny crawled across the flat landscape to reach them, the birds had stopped circling and were flying together uptown in the morning. And the morning was so pretty and peaceful that I describe it as it. I can almost forget how very, very sad that morning was for me. A morning that I could strike him forever from the Snicket calendar. Okay, pay stop, please. I, but I can't erase this day any more than I can write a happy ending to this book for a simple reason that the story does not go that way. No matter how lovely the morning was or how confident the Baudelaire's felt about what they discovered overnight, uh, discovered over the course of the night, there isn't a happy ending at the horizon of this story. And any more than that, I w- was an elephant on the horizon of VFD. Good morning, Violet said to Klaus as he yawned. Good morning, Klaus replied. He was holding two books in his arms, but nevertheless, he managed to wave at Sunny, who was still crawling towards them. How did everything go with Hector in the inventing studio? Well, Hector fell asleep a few hours ago, Violet said, but I discovered a few small flaws in the self-sustaining hot air balloon mobile home. The engine con- conductively was low due to some problems with the electric magnetic generator Hector built. This meant that the inf- inflation rate of the balloon was often uneven, so I reconfigured some key conduits. I'm gonna say... Okay. I don't even know. Do you even know what a conduit is? No. Also, the water circulation system was run it was run on ill-fitting pipes, which meant that the self-sustaining aspect of the food center probably wouldn't last as long as it should. So I rerouted some of the some of them some of the aqueduct cycling. Nying, Sunny said as she reached her siblings. Good morning, Sunny. Klaus said, Violet was just telling me that she noticed a few things wrong with Hector's invention, but she thinks she fixed them. 
Well, I'd like to test the whole device out before we get up if there's time, Violet said, picking up Sunny and holding her. But I think everything should work out pretty well. It's a fantastic invention. A small group of people could really spend the rest of their lives up there safely in the air. Did you discover anything while you're in the library? Well, first I discovered that books are about VFD roles are actually quite fascinating. Klaus said, rule number 19, for instance, clearly states that only one, that there are only, the only pens that are acceptable within the city limits are one made of feathers of crows. And yet rule number 39 clearly states that it's illegal to make anything out of crow feathers. How can the townspeople obey both rules at once? Maybe they don't have any pens at all. Violet said, but that's not important. Did you discover anything helpful in the rule book? Yes, Klaus said, and opened one of the books he was carrying. Listen to this rule. Rule number 2,493 clearly states that any person who's going to be burned at the stake has has the opportunity to make a speech right before the fire is lit. We can go to the uptown jail this morning and make sure that Jacques gets his opportunity. In his speech, he can tell people that who he really is and why he has that tattoo. But he tried to do that yesterday at the meeting, Violet said, and nobody believed him, and nobody listened to him. Well, I was thinking the same thing, Klaus said, opening the second book, until I read this. To we? Sunny asked, which meant something like, is there a rule that clearly states that the people must listen to speeches? No, Klaus said, that isn't a rule. That isn't a rule book. Oh, this isn't a rule book. This is a book about psychology and the study of, of the mind. It has removed it was removed from the library because there's a chapter about the Cherokee tribe of North America. They make all sorts of things out of feathers, which breaks rule number thirty-nine. Well, that's ridiculous, Violet said. I agree, Klaus said. But I'm glad that this book was here instead of in town because it gave me an idea. There's a chapter about mob psychology. Wase, Sunny said. A mob is a crowd of people. Klaus explained, usually an angry one, like the townspeople in the council of the elders yesterday, Violet said, in town hall. They were incredibly angry. Exactly, Klaus said. Now listen to this. The middle Baudelaire opened up the second book and began to read out loud. The subliminal subliminal emotional tenor of the mob's unruliness lies in solitary opinions expressed emphatically at various points of the stereo field. Tenor? Stereo? Violet asked. It sounds like you're talking about an opera. The book uses a lot of complicated words, Klaus said, but luckily there was a dictionary in Hector's library. It had been removed from VFD library because it contained phrases of mechanical devices. All of the sentences meant that if a few people scattered through the crowd and began to shout... just cut them out. I know. Began to shout their opinions, soon the whole mob would agree with them. It happened at the city council meeting yesterday. A few people said angry things, and soon the whole room was angry. Voo, Sunny said, which meant, yes, I remember that. Then we've then we've got to get to the jail, Klaus said. We'll make sure that Jacques is allowed to have his speech and then explain himself. And then we'll scatter ourselves throughout the crowd and shout, I believe him, hear, hear. Mob psychology should make everyone demand Jack's freedom. Do you really think that that's going to work? Well, I prefer to test it first, Klaus said, just like you prefer to test the self-sustaining hot air balloon. But we don't have the time. Now, Sunny, what did you discover from spending the night under the tree? Sunny held up one of her small hands to show them another scrap of paper. Couplet, she cried out. She cried out triumphantly, and her sister, her siblings gathered around to read it. The first thing, the first thing you read contains the clue, an initial way to speak to you. 
Good work, Sonny, Violet said. This is definitely another poem by Isidore Quagmire. And it seems to lead us back to the first poem, Klaus said. It says the first thing contains a clue. But what does an initial way to speak to you mean, Violet said? Initials like VFD? Maybe, Klaus replied. But the word initial can also mean first. I think Isidore means it's a, that this very first message is the way she can speak to us through poems. But we already know that, Violet said. The Quagmires wouldn't have to tell us. Let's look at the poem again tonight. Maybe, or let's look at the poem again together. Maybe it will give us a complete picture. Violet looked at the other two poems out of her pocket, and then the three children looked at them together. For sapphires, we are held in here. Only you can end our fear. Until dawn comes, we cannot speak. No words can come from this sad beak. First thing you read contains a clue, an initial way to speak to you. The part about the beak is most confusing, Klaus said. Lucracy, Sunny said, which meant, I think I can explain. Crows are delivering the couplets. How can that be possible, Violet asked. Lordea, Sunny shouted. She means something like, I abs- I'm absolutely sure that nobody poached the tree last night. And at dawn, the note dropped from the branches of the tree. I've heard of carrier pigeons, Klaus said, and those birds can carry messages for a living, but I've never heard of co- carrier crows. Well, maybe they don't know that they're carrier crows, Violet said. The quagmires could be attaching the scraps of paper to the crows in some way and then putting them on their beaks or their feathers and then the poems come loose when they sleep in the Nevermore tree. The triplets must be somewhere in town, but where? Co, Sunny said, pointing to the poems. Sunny's right, he, Klaus said excitedly. He, it said, until the dawn comes, we cannot speak. That means they're attaching the poems in the morning and when the crows roost up town, well, that's one more reason to get uptown, Violet replied. We can save Jacques before he burns at the stake and search for the quagmires. Without you, Sunny, we wouldn't know where to look for the quagmires. Hasserin, Sunny said, which meant, and without you, Klaus, we wouldn't know how to save Jacques. And without you, Violet, Klaus said, we'd have no chance of escaping from this town. And if we keep standing here, Violet, we won't have anybody to save. Now let's go wake up Hector and get moving. The Counselor of the Elders said that they'll burn Jacques at the stake right after breakfast. Yikes, Sunny said, which meant, this doesn't give us much time. So the Baudelaire's didn't take much time walking to the barn through Hector's library, which is so massive that the two Baudelaire sisters could not believe Klaus had managed to find helpful information along these shelves of books. There were bookshelves so tall that you had to stand on a ladder to reach the highest shelf, and one so short that you had to crawl on the floor and read their titles. There were books that looked so heavy to move, and some that looked too light to... to Stay in one place. And there were books uh, and there were books that looked so dull that the sister could not imagine anyone reading them. But these were books that were still stacked in huge heaps spread along the table after Klaus had his all night reading session. Violet and Sunny wanted to pause for the moment and take it all in, but they knew that they didn't have much time. Behind the last bookshelf of the library was Hector's inventing studio, where Klaus and Sunny got their first glimpse of the self-sustaining hot air mobile balloon, oh, hot air mobile home, which <clears throat> was a marvelous contraption. Twelve enormous baskets, each about the size of a small room, were stacked up in the corner, connected by all sorts of different tubes, pipes, and wires, and circled around the baskets were a series of large metal tanks, wooden ga- grates, glass jugs, paper bags, plastic containers, and rolls of twine. In rolls of twine, along with a number of large mechanical devices, with buttons, switches, gears, and big pile of deflated balloons, 
This self-sustaining hot air mobile home was so immense and complicated that it reminded the two young Baudelaire's of what they thought they pictured in Violet's inventing brain, and every piece of it looked so interesting that Klaus and Sonny could scarcely decide what to do first. But the Baudelaire's knew that they didn't have much time, so rather than explain the invention to her siblings, Violet walked quickly over to one of the baskets, which Klaus and Sonny were surprised to see contained a bed, which in return contained Hector sleeping. Good morning, the handyman said when Violet shook him awake. This is a good morning, she replied. We've discovered some marvelous things. We'll explain everything on our way uptown. Uptown, Hector said, stepping out of the basket. But the crows are roosting uptown. We'll do uptown chores in the morning, downtown chores in the morning, remember? We're not doing any chores this morning. Klaus said, and Klaus said firmly, that's one of the things we need to explain. Hector yawned, stretched and rubbed his eyes, and then smiled at the three children. Well, fire away, he said, using a phrase here, which means begin telling me about your plans. The siblings led Hector, Hector back to the inventing studio and the secret library and waited while he locked up the barn. Then, as they took their first few steps across the landscape towards the downtown dist uptown district, the Baudelaire orphans fired away. Violet told Hector about the improvements that she made on his invention, and Klaus told him about what he had learned in Hector's library. Sunny told him with a translation of the help from his siblings that her discovery of Isidore's poem were being how they were being delivered. By the time the Baudelaire's were unrolling the last scrap of paper and showing Hector the third couplet, they had already reached the crow, the crow-covered outskirts of the VF, VFD's uptown district. So the Quagmires are here somewhere in uptown district, Hector said, but where? I don't know, Violet admitted, but we better try and save Jacques first, which is why we're going to the up, which way to the uptown jail, Violet asked Hector. It's across from the foul fountain, the handyman replied, but it looks like we won't need any directions. Look what's ahead of us. The children looked and could see some type of townspeople holding flames and torches walking a block ahead of them. It must be after breakfast, Klaus said. Let's hurry. The Baudelaire's walked as quickly as they could between muttering crows roosting on the ground with Hector trailing skittishly behind them, and soon they rounded the corner of and reached foul fountain or at least what they could see of it. Foul Fountain was swarming with crows who were fluttering their wings in water in order to give themselves a morning bath, and the Baudelaire's could scarcely see our metal feather, one metal feather, feather hiding behind the hideous landmark. Across the courtyard was a building with bars and windows and crows on the bars, and torch-carrying citizens were standing about half, standing in a half circle around the door of the building. More VFD citizens were arriving from every direction, and the three children could see a few crow-hatted members of the elders standing together and listening to something Miss Mara was saying. It seems that we have arrived in the nick of time, Violet said. We'd better scatter ourselves throughout the crowd. Sunny, you move to the far left. I'll take the far right. Roger, Sunny said, and began crawling her way through the half-circle of people. I think I'll just stay here quietly. I think I'll just stay here, Hector said quietly, looking down at the ground, but the children had no time to argue with him. Klaus began to walk straight toward the middle of the crowd. Wait, Klaus called without moving, Klaus called moving with difficulty through the people. Rule number 2493 clearly states that any person who's going to be burned has to, at the stake, has to have the opportunity to make a speech right before the fire is lit. Yes, Violet cried from the right-hand side of the crowd. Let Jock be heard. Officer Luciana stepped right in front of Violet, who almost bumped her head on the chief's shiny helmet. Beneath the visor of the helmet, Violet could see Luciana's lipsticked mouth rise with a very small smile. It's too late for that, she said, and a few townspeople around her murmured in agreement. 
With a clunk, one boot had stepped to the side and Violet saw what happened. From the left-hand side of the crowd, Sonny crawled over the shoe of the person standing closest to the jail and Klaus peered over Mr. Lesko's shoulder to get a good look at everyone was staring at. Jacques was lying on the ground with his eyes closed and two members of the Council of the Elders were pulling a white sheet over him. If they were not tucking him in, but they were not tucking him in for a nap. But as dearly as I wish I could write that was so, he was not sleeping. The Baudelaire's had reached up, reached the uptown jail before the citizens of VFD could burn him at the stake, but they still had not arrived in the nick of time. Everybody, this, did he really die? Oh my gosh, all right. Okay, let's do this. Let's get this party started. Time to get up and get moving.